I wish I could not have a mailbox. It's currently now the one place I don't have actual control over. Everything else I can just decide not to deal with. But yeah. but we have the, you know, the, the front slot. Mm-hmm. So there's, suddenly there's just trash. Just a pile. Of People like, can Here. just put trash right into my house. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. Here, throw this away. Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 102 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm very sleepy. I'm Sam, and I have a cold. And today is June 13th, 2017. It is the 13th of June. Yes. (laughs) And we have a warning before we get started. Anything could happen on this show. Uh, we We will be sort of lacing our our conversation with just little little spurts of profanities mm-hmm. but also some actual lace there's going to be lace and there's going to be really occasionally pretty. real human words kind of mixed in throughout mm-hmm. very occasionally uh, so if you're if you're against those kinds of things whatever we just said then yeah, you should get attention. out okay cool uh, if you're a baby or a child get out here all right guys what happened this week? We have so E three is happening. E three is happening. There's some, there's some big announcements, which I think these are the things we've all been waiting for. <laughs> okay. Yeah. First okay. thing, Minecraft. It's in 4K resolution. That's why I was because I I I read you know I was reading through the news yesterday and kind of briefing the team on what's been going on at E three and I read this announcement first. Minecraft, Minecraft is in 4K. 4K. You're gonna see those giant pixels. Yeah, and I thought so good. I thought am I. Am I insane? Am I in, am I taking crazy pills? <laughs> why is this important? Why does why is this even happening? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the very next one I read and was then was Microsoft's renaming of the Xbox Scorpio, which frankly was pretty cool. Scorpio, name. It's a pretty cool name. Cool. Yeah, and a little aggressive maybe. A little aggressive. Wait, but isn't that a isn't that a uh, astrological yeah. sign? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that's not so, that's fine. But then they renamed it to get this X. the Xbox One X. Mm, can't okay. believe it. So <laughs> I read these back to back and I, I genuinely felt I was like, am I Well also this the Skyrim is going to the to the Switch. Yeah. Right. right. And this is what a ten year old game by now mm-hmm. or something like that. And this was like this was an E three announcement. Right. That this is happening. Yeah. I'm like, am I losing my mind? <laughs> <laughs> because who wants to see Minecraft in four K? I mean, like, I, I mean, that's cool. More importantly, what does it mean? What does that mean? What does it mean for a game that has textures that you can see the pixels? Yeah, it's, it's, like the textures foot. on the blocks are like, uh, what are they, like 16 by 16 yes. or something? Yeah. But now they're that times four. Yeah. Each, on each side. Yeah. I guess. So that's what, I mean, we've all, I mean, I've been, I've been waiting. I I've know. been like, you know, I really want to get into Minecraft. The problem is it's the graphics. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's not what they look like. I'm okay with that. It's just how many pixels there are. There's not enough of them. You yeah. can't quite see how I can't beautiful see those, how low res are. the blocks are <laughs> well enough because I don't have enough pixels. Yeah. So now you can. And then the, the people Xbox like me, thing. this is a big deal. The yeah. Xbox thing, I'm like, what? Who's in charge Xbox of naming them? I mean, even X. when they had the, because they had the Xbox 360 and then the Xbox One, that was already, that was already confusing stupid and, tough, and confusing. Right. Next, I hope they make the next one like the Xbox Box. X box one <laughs> six thirty six. I hope it's there. I hope they call it PM. Xbox Xbox One Nine, but the nine is actually IX in Roman numerals. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's a lowercase I, yeah, a capital X. Yep. yep. But the X is actually two ones crossing. This <laughs> <laughs> just I. This has been weird, and I I uh, so we watched some of the other. We didn't watch E three, but we kind of just been following up. Um, 
via PC Gamer and a couple other sites as far as what's been happening. And there do look, I mean, there's a couple of really cool games, of course, that got announced, which looks really neat. Uh, Clay's got a new one that they showed, they had a called I think, Grift, Griftlands. Griftlands? Griftlands. Hmm. Um, Griff, that's like when you run a scam or something. I right? think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Just, it's uh, yeah. it looks fun. It's a little party based uh, RPG thing. Cool, gorgeous as always. But so there's there's a, a big list of, of really pretty games that came out. But then there's always these just weird like, what <laughs> happening. <laughs> and we were talking about how we kind of feel like we're you know so we've been we're now kind of deep in dev on this uh, on this Snuppies game, and it's changing a lot. And we're, we're we've entered what we refer to as the butterscotch. The butterscotch slowdown, which is when you're working super focused on these things, uh, time just kind of just disappears. So we'll roll in here at eight, and then suddenly it's four p.m. and we're like, we got a bunch of patch notes, we got a bunch of new stuff, and we're like, what happened? And last night I told Seth, uh, so I've been doing a bunch of kind of writing and thinking about where the project's going, and I had I went in there to kind of update my design thinking doc after uh, having a thought while I was taking a walk, and there's a note from six twelve in there. And I went to add a note for today, yesterday, uh, which happened to also be 612. And I didn't remember that I had that morning, I had written that earlier piece in the morning. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm just totally in the time oh, warp. The, the date 612. Correct. Not the time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That, I was very, <laughs> if it happened in the same minute, then that would be like a yeah, dementia I, problem. Yeah, I thought yeah. you were trying to make a point about like AM versus PM, and then it was like a 12-hour separation. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it happened on the same day, yeah, and I had following. no... Genuinely, no recollection. Like, I thought of that was yesterday. Yeah. yeah, no recollection. Yeah. So that's where we are. Yeah, I was catching. I was catching up with with Andy today for our one on ones, where we just uh-huh. kind of sit down and talk about how everyone's doing, you know. And uh, I started talking about like where things were last week, and he was like, "I think that was two weeks ago." And I was like, "No." And then we had to, then we had to just like sit down and like work through the math. Like, okay, so <laughs> then this, this happened, happened. This happened. We're like, oh <laughs> shit, that was two weeks. Ago. <laughs> yeah. What in the hell? Yeah. So we're we are in the the butterscotch slowdown, and I think part of or it is it the speed down. I think it's just a regular old time warp because sometimes it'll be like you think something happened two days ago and it happened this morning. Yeah. Other times you'll think it happened yesterday and it was two weeks ago. Yeah. None of it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Time is all wibbly wobbly. Time doldrums. But I think part of it is then when we, when we read these E3 announcements that sound insane, then it, it feels like <laughs> Maybe you're, we are. It's, it feels like yeah. our grip on reality is kind of just is just coming loose. You know, like yeah. Minecraft textures and Ford and 4K. And I'm like, what day is it? I don't really upside down. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. <laughs> but even stuff like that people are sort of excited about, but don't really know how to feel about. So, so PlayStation mentioned without any details that they're going to have this, I can't remember what they called it, but some sort of smartphone based controller scheme that they're going to add. Hmm. Right. Uh, which somebody pointed out is exactly what like, you don't know, Jack does. Right. Right. Because it's a really easy problem to solve, right. like stupidly easy problem to solve. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this is a thing announced at E3. Like this is a thing that we're going to do, which is really just them saying we're going to become a little less closed than they were because they just don't allow you to do interesting right. stuff on the platform. Um, but again, like why? Like, this isn't like a huge technological s- leap. No, well, no, it's, it's, it's just a huge, it's, it's a small allowance for a business opportunity that was previously closed to us. Right. So E3, yeah. they're like, we've updated one of our policies. Everybody's like, yeah! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just baffling because because there's no reason you couldn't a developer couldn't already just do that unless PlayStation forbids you from doing it, which is mm-hmm. quite possible. I don't know, right. uh, but yeah, there's there's just no reason why like you would need a, you know a, a PlayStation official way of interfacing with those things when it just goes over the internet, right? Just it just there's just the tubes. You there's just send tubes. it through the tubes. Yeah. 
You know, I'm really excited because like, we never we've never gone to three. We've never gone to demo or or be on stage or anything like that. So I'm excited for some time in the next couple of years actually being able to partake in I don't the think riot. One day we'll make an announcement. That? Yeah, right. one day we'll make an announcement at E3 about Tile Fight Two being mm. in 4K resolution. <laughs> Everyone be like, I don't even know what that game is. Actually, no. If we want to really be at E3, I think what you got to do is you got to get a, a series of sequels up until you're like in the double digits, mm, right? Yeah. So That's we'll announce like Towel Fight 12 at E3. That's when we'll do it. It's actually the uh, third one, but nobody will know. Yeah. Yeah. Because it turns out you could just two. skip. You can just put whatever Because Towel Fight 2 is yeah. the first one, basically. Right. So um, also, Adam, you've been playing Oxygen Not Included. Yeah, we used to have a segment on our on our show. Oh yeah, that was called. Here's some games we're playing. Let's talk about that. Yeah, and then we just stopped <laughs> doing both of those things basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but but last night, or I guess a couple nights ago, I was hanging out with my wife. We were looking up what was new and showing up on Steam, and I saw Oxygen Not Included, which is by Clay, uh, and it had this like kind of cutesy, you know, vibe the same way that that Don't Starve does, but also pretty dark because mm-hmm. it's a, sort of a survival game. And uh, and Jenny been playing a lot of. Uh, of Fallout Shelter. And I was like, this just looks like an extreme version of that. So I was like, oh, she's probably going to kick out of this. So I sent it her way. So it's like Fallout Shelter mixed with Tony Hawk Pro Skater. So it's kind yes, of an extreme it's exactly like Fallout that. Shelter. Yeah. yeah. More more headshots, though. So it's yeah, not, well, not just imagine. 360s, it's also no scopes. Mm, yeah. And 360 no scopes. Three, 360 no scope skateboarding, right, extreme exactly. 420 edition. Yep. And uh, so, so. She got it to go check it out, and I was watching her play it, and I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this a shot to you." So, so I actually said, "It's, it's the only early access game I've played in quite some time because I normally avoid those." But I figured Clay would probably do a fairly professional early access, and they did. There's some wonkiness to it, but it, it, it feels like a complete, coherent game. But it's really interesting. It takes the whole "Don't starve." Everything is horrible. Uh, just the roll of the dice at the beginning when the map is generated might be your undoing within minutes. It takes mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff, but then puts it into something like a fallout shelter. So, so you basically, you have these clones that get created in this little warp pad thingy mm-hmm. and they just go do things for you. So it's a little bit RTS-y, you know? So you'll just go say, I want these things to be mined. And then, and then somebody will, if they want to gotcha. go run over and mine it, depending on their personality traits and their skills and stuff. And, uh, but it's it's a very interesting because they have this sort of physics simulation that's mostly just moving water and poison and gases around. And that's it. So you just you're in an asteroid and it's called oxygen not included because you just appear. And there's like one little b- block thing that's bubbling oxygen out, but it decays quickly. Hmm. And so then your goal is basically to manage your little space colony by mostly removing waste and creating oxygen, right? Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and so it's, it's really interesting. So, so basically things like carbon dioxide sink, right? And so you can yeah. end up, if you make a little pit, then it'll just slowly fill up with carbon dioxide. And if somebody falls into it, they just throw their little cheeks buff out because they're holding their breath. And <laughs> if they get stuck, they just die down there, right? Yeah, you, you have to build. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to build outhouses, and uh, and they fill up over time. And then somebody has to come like plunge them to get them clean. <laughs> uh, but while they're there, they start creating noxious gases also. So then you have to keep them away from the rest of the uh, stuff because they're breathing. And yeah, because you're you're just in this contained thing, and so you can also. Hmm. Uh, so, so then you basically start doing research so you can get things like air pumps and air filters and stuff to try to keep things mm-hmm. moving. And then you're trying to get your little characters to go run off and go mine stuff and find things. And they're constantly like finding pockets of carbon dioxide and then having to like run back to your base because they're also getting too cold because uh, <laughs> the heat can change quite a bit. You know, it's a really. Yeah. It's, I think I should play, uh, play, it's play really this interesting. Um <laughs> Yeah, I can't. I can't say that I'd recommend it yet without like. There's no tutorial to speak of. We had to right. read up some stuff on the internet. I'll wishlisted when, stuff. It, when yeah, it comes out. I would I'll. say wishlisted, but it's a. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of stuff I don't like about Don't Starve. Mostly, it's just a survival game, 
and it, but it feels like a crafting game. Mm -hmm. And so I just always feel super disappointed when I just end up completely fucked and, and that's it. Right. But this one just feels like a survival game. You're just trapped on an asteroid without any air, right? So, so it, <laughs> that's sort it, of the totally, most extreme survival. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah. kind of totally you can't makes, breathe. Exactly. Yeah. It just makes perfect <laughs> sense. But I actually thought it was really fun having having read a lot of books recently, like Seven Eves, um, or played a lot of Kerbal Space Program, which are all about doing stuff. Maybe in space the Martian and the Martian. Mm. Uh, it's really appropriate because all that stuff that you you know read people thinking about in these stories, you could now just have to battle and deal with. Um, but then the whole thing is done in that cutesy clay style, which is adds just like this fun mm. layer on top. Cause like the mm. characters also look at sick. And then if they sneeze, it makes this little cloud around them. If anybody else is in it, they have a chance of getting sick too. And you can make a little medical cot and they'll just hobble over to it all, <laughs> all awkwardly and then climb in there and just look really sad. And like, oh, suddenly a cast will be on their arm and stuff. <laughs> yeah, so they just added a ton of personality to these characters. Mm. Uh, so it is, it is very Interesting. My colony got overrun by, so there was a urine spill at some point, mm, which is not great. Yeah, it, yeah, you'll yeah. have that. And then it contaminated my water supply a little oh, bit, no. which is kind of a problem. So everybody's kind of like drinking pee, Yeah, But mostly, <laughs> mostly the space was just really cold that I just happened to, you know, be created inside of. If you make it cold enough, then a urine spill just becomes like a urine stalactite. It probably would, but I think yeah. they would freeze to death first. So they were cold the whole time. I had to so say they have to use little hamster wheels to power things. So one of them always has to be like running on a hamster wheel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But it turns out that that then like your little heating elements that you can make that have to be powered by a hamster wheel. Consume, you mean a, it's a human wheel, right? A human like there's wheel. a person running. I mean, okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then it consume oxygen right in their vicinity. So if people are really mm. close to it, then they have to hold their breath and they run away again. And so then after a while, then nobody could power it anymore because they were there wasn't they enough were oxygen asphyxiated. nearby. <laughs> and uh, so oh. the whole place is getting colder and colder. There's a rock paper shotgun has a pretty hilarious uh, write up where somebody basically just played basically just kind of a first look at it, but they just played it. And then they just told the story of their colony. Right. And it's very amusing. Reminds me of Rim World in that regard. Then. Yeah. And that was, that yeah. was the reference they, they talked about a lot too. Mm. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be worth something. And really, I mean, it's, it's amusing enough that I think you could just check it out now and just try it to see what it looks like. Um, but probably but if you got, if you got the early fun. access jitters, mm -hmm. then just wish list it. Well, we've talked yeah. about uh, sort of the difference between systems design and designing loops and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And we're actually, we're experiencing this a little bit now with, with the game we're working on currently because it's a, it is, it's has this form of this sort of uh, almost like a, a battalion battling game. So you show up and you choose which, which of your people to deploy uh, from a randomly selected set. And so each game is actually just a little bit different and certain things can happen that you didn't necessarily anticipate. And so there, in, there ends up emerging a story every mm -hmm. single time. Right. Um, which is very different actually than anything we built before. Cause even in Crashlands, you know, um, there were certain things that could happen, but there's, there's very loose ways in which, uh, sort of additional player stories could emerge. So for example, like you piss off, you chop down a piece of sawgrass and piss off on your nearby Wampit and it happens to be close enough to like two more to sort of pull a herd onto you, for example. But those, those are about, that was like essentially it as far as it sort of emergent right. weird stuff that would happen that p players could tell stories about. And we're already seeing it with this card game, um, which has made it just really compelling to to play in the same sort of way that, that is, where yeah. it's actually just all these systems. And, and then, there's no real even balance to speak of. There's just a bunch right. of things that interact with well, each it's other. The, it's actually the imbalance that provides interesting yeah. right, scenarios. Right. Yeah, like I, I had a I had a match. So in in uh, Snuppies, it's all about like you've got your your preset you know deck of cards basically. And you're deploying these guys into the field and each each character you can deploy will have some kind of unique trait, unique capability. 
And so we added these characters. They're called right now. They're called Keek Bumps, mm-hmm. and they're just like a leg with a head, basically. And uh, they their specialty is that when they pass a unit on the board, they kick that unit backwards a couple spaces. And so I know in this scenario where just by chance I had deployed, gotten to deploy three of these, and so did my opponent. And so oh, just kicking each other. Back they and just forth. kept kicking each other back and forth <laughs> nonstop. And so like you, you can also fling hammers onto the field to like deal damage to stuff. So we kind of ended up at this weird standstill where our characters just kept <laughs> kicking each other back and forth, back and forth. And then we had to just like slowly kill them with hammers <laughs> just to kind of clear the field, uh, yeah. which looking at it, I was like, oh, that's kind of broken. But then I was laughing the whole time. Right. So I'm like, maybe yeah, it's maybe not. It's it's not. Maybe it's user story. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, normally that doesn't happen. It's been really yeah. fun to make it. And I think I'm, I mean, it's, it's already there in terms of creating this, this rich set of user stories. And we're not even, we're only we're a few not cards even, we're in. We're not even started. Yeah. We have yeah. three units and, and that sort of thing. So well, I think, I think by having the, the components, the systems themselves feel like they have a lot of personality to them as well. Um, and that helps enormously because yeah. I mean, and in playing oxygen not included, you just feel like your little characters are, are real little people just trying to do stuff, but they, they're all, they all suck in at least one, but often many ways, you right. know, they have stuff like irritable bowel syndrome. So they're in the bathroom a lot, you know, kind of, <laughs> or narcolepsy. So suddenly they'll just be asleep when they're supposed to be on the hamster. Why wheel, would you, you send know? a narcoleptic person to be your envoy your, into an astral <laughs> to make it? Or, or really any of these people, you know. Right. But I mean, the whole idea is, you know, you just select, you just have what you have. And it's you, your ragtag you group. There's a reason why very few people could be astronauts. Yeah. Because of these things. Yeah. Well, well, part of it is, is it's a, it is a ragtag crew, right? right. So, so you're kind of, you're both managing them, but they also kind of do what they want. And then you're, so then you're also rooting for them at the same time. But mm. then there might be some, some character that you just hate because they won't do their job or there's like a loud sleeper who you need to put in a bed somewhere else. who doesn't wake everybody else up. <laughs> this reminds me of, I loved yeah. the game, the, the black and white games. Yeah. Where yeah. you have the, you have this giant creature and you're a God and you can do stuff in the world, but then you also have a creature that is sort of your, your envoy, you know, mm-hmm. it's your, it's your ambassador to the world and you train it and it watches what you do. And then it tries to emulate your behavior. And so you may be like doing something like maybe like pick up a villager and just like throw them or something with your little God hand. And then a moment later, you kind of like you lose track of your creature. You turn around and you see it and it's just like picking up handfuls of villagers and just like chucking <laughs> them into the hillside. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it has its own personality. So it, like that kind of thing adds those emergent situations that you just yeah, normally right. wouldn't see, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, we also have uh, the, so the Shenana Jam wrapped up uh, last two weekends, three week, two weekends, ago, weekends ago, week and a half ago, basically. Yeah. Well, ratings, ratings wrapped up last week. Rating, yeah. Ratings wrapped up last week. So there were, <laughs> there were 132 games. How many ratings? Like 1600. 1600 or something like that. So, um, so we now have the, the games sorted by ranking, which means we can now put together our post jam video, which we're going to do sometime in the next uh, week, probably. And, we're just going to grab the top five, 10 games, something like that. And uh, just do a little playthrough, make a little YouTube video, throw some, some commentary on there. I don't really know what we're going to say or do. Just going to have fun. We're just going to have fun with them. So we'll be doing that. Um, and then otherwise, as far as the studio stuff goes, we've, we've uh, started up a little quest for gains in mm. the studio. Mm-hmm. So we're all, we're all getting back in the gym. But yeah. the important note here is that Seth ate an entire rotisserie chicken for lunch yesterday. I did. I did do this, which is surprising because they come in various sizes. It was though. a small one. Okay. It was a it was a seven dollar rotisserie chicken. Just went by the grocery store. I went to the grocery store to get ketchup because I was gonna have a <laughs> burger for lunch. Walked past this beautiful rotisserie chicken. Did you smell really good? Yeah, and I was like, no, I'm gonna have this instead. So mm-hmm. I just brought that home and just just ate it. 
It's got to be at least like a pound of chicken. I think it probably was. But, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to meet your protein quotas. You got to meet your protein. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's all that's happened this past week. Uh, Unless I'm missing anything. That's good. Yeah. All right. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It's we're in, it's we're in a time Life flip, is weird. We're in a time flip flab. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from podcast.bscotch.net, and they are asked by our uh, players, fellow developers, just uh, you know, all kinds of people. So uh, let's get started. First question comes from BabooTube, who says, Are you aware Vsauce 3 mentioned both Flop Rocket and Quadrupus Rampage in the series App All Night? If yes, what are your thoughts? If no, what are your feelings? <laughs> uh, I yeah, feel, you I knew do. that. Yep, I I didn't. So I'll I'll talk about my feelings. How do you How feel, you feel Adam? about this? I'm confused because I don't know most of those words. <laughs> yeah, so Vsauce v- three. Yeah. Vsauce three is so you know, Vsauce is a YouTube channel where they just like I think they look at things. Okay, didn't they're know like, that. They're like, here's how this works, and they type. What back. does the V stand for? Very, very sauce. I think it's very, veritas, veritasium, veritasius, veracity. Veritas sauce. Veritas, maybe. Something about truth. Truth sauce. Cool. And truth sauce. Vsauce 3, I think, does like reviews and stuff. Is it like So we've been mentioning it. It's the the sequel. Third channel. It's like it's a trilogy. How do you feel about that? Uh, Still mostly don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if we have feelings anymore. Just at all. Well, so this is an interesting point which i think when we first started making games we would get really amped up about when like some website would pick up our one of mm-hmm. our games and do a review on it or a youtuber or whatever and uh what we've come to learn over the years is that no individual thing truly matters mm-hmm. what really matters is it's sort of an all or nothing thing so if if every place is talking about your game if tons and tons of YouTubers are playing it and if lots and lots of review sites are reviewing it, then that is a wide enough net and it creates enough social proof to convince people, oh yeah, this is a thing. This is a thing that is good and people are playing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if any, ind- like out of that whole group, any individual one, if they were to like not do it, it wouldn't really change much. Mm-hmm. Um, so nowadays, you know, when we hear about any independent channel or whatever doing a review or a playthrough or whatever um it doesn't really register much because it doesn't really translate into anything tangible on our end by itself even if right. they're like even if they've got like a million subscribers or something yeah uh, well and when crashlands launched we were really pumped and we and we watched all the videos that were coming out as they mm-hmm. were coming out and, and right before the launch actually happened uh and then i think you know kind of once we got past that window we just watched a lot of people like play this thing and talk about it and and so now I just just well, there's, had kind of a you know? there's yeah. kind of a fatigue yeah. Yeah. part too, um, but that's good. I feel good about it. Oh, yeah, I, I feel mean, because here's the thing: no no individual thing matters, which is true, and that's kind of like the glass half empty thing to look at it. Mm-hmm. It's also the case that they all matter. Yep, sort of collectively, In right? Aggregate. Yeah, and so I'm so good. I'm glad that Vsauce three played those games. Mm-hmm. All right, next question comes from Edward. Was there anything surprising or amusing in your student evaluations? How were your scores? Mm. So Sam and I taught a course at mm-hmm. Washington University on game development. Yeah. Did how, they, how'd we do? Did they get to write up just whatever they wanted on yep, these they things? They could put comments in various sections and stuff. Nice. Um, 
one student's overall feedback just said crash lands rocks, which I thought was funny. <laughs> it's a good course evaluation. Um, no, we <laughs> kind of missed the target. We got the highest. Um, I think we got the highest reviews in the department that we we're in. Yeah, we were. Yeah, which is neat. But I think it's because we because we came into it just as like just one semester thing. We gave it our all. Um, and because we work in the field, we also have tons and tons of real world examples mm-hmm. of why things matter and stuff. But you also hadn't been, you know, beat down by years of teaching students that don't yep. give a fuck. We don't have that. Because you almost did. And you only so, did it for one yeah, semester. Yeah. So we have mm-hmm. that. We have that sort of naive optimism. Yep. Um, and then because it's not our day job, then we have actually like no, no fear of. Pretty laissez faire. You know, we have no like, fear of anything, right? Like we don't, we don't care if we get bad student evaluations. So we're just going to say what we want to say. Yeah. I swore a lot. Yeah, there was, it was just a very freewheeling <laughs> kind of a vibe, which I guess sort of like people enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, it probably just felt different to the yeah. students. So yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was fun. Yeah. We I mean, haven't decided what the future of this. They asked, <laughs> yeah, they asked for uh, what, what individual feedback you give to any instructor. And I didn't, no one gave me anything. No one actually gave me any feedback that was like uh, a piece that I could improve on. They were just like, oh, I was fun. Or I was good. Or, uh. Some someone said something about my beard. Nice. Somebody else said something about because <laughs> we got jacked before GDC, which happened to be in the middle of the semester. Oh yeah. So someone said something about our gym regiment or something like that. It was weird. <laughs> it was just a weird thing. It was pretty weird. Yeah. The thing the thing that uh, that kind of it is it felt like uh like an Uber experience, right? Because like we like we get together with these students and then we we give them a rating on how well they did in the class and mm-hmm. they give us a rating on how, how well we taught. And presumably those things matter in some context right. in the future. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was an interesting experience. <laughs> All right. Next question comes from Skalgust. In a previous podcast, you guys discussed how you hated crafting games. And so in Crashlands, you basically just omitted the parts of crafting you disliked. Can you talk more about this? What are the good and the bad parts of crafting games? Mm. Oh, I think, I mean, the general point here is that the the worst part of most games is is oftentimes an inventory system. Mm-hmm. Uh, any game that has stuff in it has needs to have some way that you manage the stuff, and most games have you just manage it bit by bit, which is really really damn annoying. Well, um, crafting is interesting too because in so think about a game like Skyrim or World of Warcraft or you know like the, like these are huge games and they have crafting in them, right? But people don't refer to Skyrim as a crafting game, and right. they don't like they don't they don't uh, call World of Warcraft a crafting game. And weirdly, when you have a game that is a crafting game, like Terraria, Minecraft, you know, Don't Starve, uh, they tend to keep all of the stuff that those games have those those non crafting games with crafting systems like uh, limited inventory and mm-hmm. all that stuff. They keep all these kind of bad systems, even though the point of the game is the crafting part. Right, and so that's that's kind of the the thing is that none of it is streamlined. There's not, it's just a copy paste of crafting concepts from existing. I mean, it does depend game. on context though. Cause something like don't starve. Um, cause it's not a crafting game first. It's, in a, it's survival a survival game, game first. And, and crafting is your main mechanism of dealing with the survival problem. And so there it actually makes sense. I mean, it's one of the reasons I hate the game, sense. but it does make sense for what the game is intending yeah. to do. Right. Which is when you go out in the punishing. world, it's very punishing. When you go out in the world and you can only hold like five things or eight, whatever it is by default. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you need to be able to go get enough stuff on your foraging trip to survive and do that before nightfall and like collect as many things like up until you just have no time left so you can maximize your 
chance of survival. And then you just find another way to limit it yet, which yeah. is what inventory does there. Um, it still sucks to manage it a lot and it could be streamlined to make it still be a limit, but not one that you have to interact with in a, in a sucky way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I do think it is the case that even, even when in most games, even when the context makes sense to have inventory management, that it's set up just as a thing you have to do without them thinking about the user experience of what is it like to actually deal with this, even mm-hmm. if it should be here. Did right. we talk about Portal Knights? I don't think so. But I was just about to bring that up. Yes, we, we played Portal Knights as a studio actually I don't know, two weeks ago. Is it early access still? I think it, it might have been six months. It just ago. launched. Oh no! Just it just launched. Right. So we were like, "Oh, sweet! Let's go! Let's yeah. get in on it because it looks let's beautiful." Let's go nights and portals. Yeah. And so, for those of you who don't know, it's it's basically uh, it's like a four K Minecraft. Sort yeah. Of. It, actually, actually, it is actually yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful Minecraft basically. game. Basically. Um, so we we hopped in there as a crew to go just kind of explore and and check it out. And within ten minutes, all of us had full inventories. Yeah, And the problem in that game is that each little world, so instead of something like Minecraft where it's just a huge uh, huge territory that you're exploring, um, in Portal Knights you basically hop on these, two, these different portals to go between these different zones that are each by themselves are actually very small and have a limited number of the things that you want and need. And they did something, some really weird uh, design choice, which is that everybody has to travel together. So it's to me, I, I'm pretty confident that that was not a design decision. Sure it was more a of a problem. more of a lazy workaround for a technical problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening though is, say, like my bag is full, but Seth, like maybe he, I got is, plenty of space. He easily already like a stack of stuff or whatever. Uh, I'm a, I need to take time to you know basically defrag. I gotta get all my shit out, put it in the right chest. You gotta go back to around, the base. Go back to base. Um, but Seth's ready to go. And so as a result, we ended up within, I think, 10 or 20 minutes hitting this really weird point where there was just a lot of waiting around because we yeah. couldn't make any progress on in the current world we were in. But someone needed to, say, put their stuff away in a chest and then someone else needed to do it or whatever yeah. else. And so it ended up the gameplay started off, I think, actually started off really fun. And then it got overly burdensome as time went on. Yeah, I ended up playing again with with my wife and because I knew what it was going to be like going in. Mm-hmm. And so, and also recognize that crafting is actually a lot like Terraria where crafting can be treated as, as relatively unimportant for Mm -hmm. stuff except for like weapons and armor, but for actually building a base and that kind of stuff, if you want to go really minimal and something like, uh, like Terraria, that's a totally fine approach. Um, and so I took that same approach here where I was like, it's also because of all this difficulty where you can't just go back and visit your home or, and and you can't even have a home because you would have to teleport there to get there. Right. Uh, thus bringing your entire crew with you. Uh, I was just like, let's not have a home. We'll just carry the few pieces of crafting equipment we need. We also don't need almost any resource. Right. Most of them are used for crafting a a house. Hmm. But a house is a burden. You can't take the time to build because if one of you wants to do automatically pick up things. You do, but then you can just dump them here. Because unlike in... Because I I found that some some games, my inventory just feels like it's full all the goddamn time, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, but in this one, it it doesn't quite feel that way because of how things stack and, and actually how few kinds of things there are when you're in one little world. Hmm. And so, so in that case, I just, I just would go through and purge my inventory once every like 20 minutes. And then, so then really, really then, so this is an interesting problem because it's, it's the fact that you have to travel together that makes the inventory weird right. to deal well, with. Well, no, and that, that, that means that somebody never sat down and thought, because this is what we did for Crashlands, right? Mm-hmm. We said, this is an adventure game first and you use crafting as your way of navigating that world. So how do we make sure it still always feels like the adventure, the adventure. comes first? And to us, that meant you didn't have to go home. You could just continue your adventure. Mm-hmm. And that was what led to the infinite inventory system because right. 
we designed the inventory system around the major gameplay mechanic we wanted. Well, and importantly, like if you if you chop down a tree or you defeat a creature or something, the idea of oh yeah, all the parts came out and you could technically pick them up, but now you you can't. You're right. out of space now. So that yeah. thing that you just did, you just don't get to have the right. the rewards That's from no it. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the other the other interesting one, which which we did not get away from, but I think it's it's important to note is the 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 grinding nature of a crafting game. Mm -hmm. um, which I, I always find it kind of comical when people comment on Crashlands and they're like, oh yeah, the game is a grind. It's like, yeah, you have to go chop down literally a thousand trees. Yeah. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It's just like, <laughs> that's what the game is. The game is about slowly making It's about progress. accumulating resources. Yeah. And so it's, it is naturally a grinding game. And we talked about, we've talked internally about the fact that we did miss out, I think, on one big opportunity, which was, uh, which was including more, just more complete items that drop, that have a drop rate. Um, that come out of just enemies or trees or whatever else that are just done. So the gongs, for example, which are these weapons you get from fishing that you just, you just fish up a weapon. Um, it's one of the most sought after things in the game. It's one of the things people talk about the most, uh, how to get them strategies for getting them. And we only have actually a few other weapons or just other things that work in that similar sort of way where they're just complete when you, when you find them out in the world. And, uh, that, that serves, I think a really important purpose that we didn't quite see in the development of it, which is sort of breaking up that feeling of the grind because yeah. you occasionally get these, just these discrete jumps or this discrete item that you just get. There's no, you need to go harvest, you know, 300 pieces of wood to build this thing. It just suddenly is there or it's not. And Terraria, I think does an excellent job of actually mixing those two modes together yeah. where you have the general crafting tree, but then you have this really extensive drop tree where you run around and you either get a thing or you don't and you just get surprised oftentimes by the thing you get and it, and it can change your goals. And there's so much stuff that, that you can only really be looking for one or two things at a time in your memory. You yeah. Know? But you'll uh, find but something But then you else. still find other things yeah. that you didn't even know existed in the game mm -hmm. that you then have to go check out and, and then and then maybe discover an entirely new crafting tree that you're right. interested in. So I think if, you know, if we were to pursue uh, like a, a sequel, to, a direct sequel to Crashlands, I think rolling in more of that. Yeah, yeah, very hypothetical. We're not, uh, we're we're not, not currently. Um, yeah. <laughs> but if, if in the future we were to pursue that, I think we would roll in a much more robust uh, overall system for that sort of thing to yeah. make it so that there's a crafting element with regard to discrete progress that you can get from exploring and adventuring out in the world, as well as the general grindy, quote unquote, yeah, progress. You need, you need a crafting. mixture, right? Because yeah. a grind is sort of by its definition, it's, it's slow incremental progress toward a goal, right? Mm -hmm. And what makes it feel like a grind is, you know, it's the same idea of like getting paid hourly. It's like you do it for an hour, you get your money. You do it for another hour, you get your money, right? right? There's no yeah. surprise. This is what it is. Yeah, it's not like it's like this hour you might get zero dollars or five thousand right. dollars, right? It's just right. always gonna be however much you, you get, right? Um and the the grind aspect is actually just it's it's more of a comment about monotony. Mm -hmm. right, it's just you're doing the same thing over and over again and you know what the outcome is gonna be, and you also know exactly how long you have to do it, right? You know, how many trees you have to chop down or whatever. And so I think having a mixture of those things, so I always think about um older World of Warcraft as a great uh, framework for thinking about this, where they would often have, like you'd go into a dungeon and there'd be, you know, five bosses in there and, you know, boss number four has that one sword that you're trying to get. Mm -hmm. And you know that sword has like a 20% chance of dropping. And then when it drops, you also have to roll the dice against your, the other people in your party to try to get that sword. Mm -hmm. So you may run that dungeon, you know, 15 times before you finally get that sword. And you may even see it drop a couple times on the way and somebody else gets it. And when you finally get it, you're just like, oh, shit, yeah, right? Because it's kind of like you won the lottery, right? Because right. a, a fortunate event happened to you. Um, but while you're even running— Even though you worked for it and— Even though you grinded yeah, for yeah. it the whole time. But, right. but if it was basically, hey, 
uh, you can have this sword. Here's a, here's the sword vendor standing outside the dungeon. And every time you kill boss number four, you get a sword token. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you hand those tokens to the person that just give you the sword. It's going to feel very different. Yeah. Even though it is the same is in the terms same. of what you do. It's the same what you spent. do, but the, the feeling is different. This is why we always thought it was kind of funny because people will simultaneously talk about um, the feeling of grinding in Crashlands. And then the thing they're most excited about is the gong, as Sam said, mm -hmm. which requires you, in some cases, people will fish for like eight six hours, hours yeah. eight hours to catch this thing. And if we just said, yeah, you just, you get this once you've fished for eight hours, people would be like, well, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, yep. But because, but because it's, it's random, then any, yep. any cast might be the one. Right? But I think interestingly, you need, you do need this sort of, uh, the, you need sort of like the, the stew in which to put these discrete yeah, you do You do progress, both, right? Yeah. So and this is, this is why in, in WoW, they also have like, they have reputations that you earn. Right, so, so you do grind. It's like while you're in the dungeon, you're always getting something. Mm -hmm. So you, you clear the dungeon and you've earned, you know, 500 reputation points for a faction. And then that opens up vendors who will sell you items. Right. And in the meantime, you're also getting chances to get these really good items right. that you want. So you got to kind of mix it up. Yeah. So it is, it is an interesting thing. I think, you know, now that we've gone through dev on a game like Crashlands and part of the thing we're, we're finding with building out Snuppies, um, which is again, a, it's actually a systems heavy game in a similar way that, that Crashlands was, um, is we're, we're sort of figuring out, you know, this is our, our second sort of push at a, a more systems oriented, uh, game design. So it's, we're, we're finding out a lot of things, but just how to think about these, these, the approach and how to sort of stay calm when things don't feel good. I think is a big piece of it. Yeah. Um, Cause they never do at the beginning. Yeah. Especially it's, it's always si shitty. <laughs> the more systems you need. I mean, I, I could think about like the idea of oxygen not included, like early dev on that. Yeah. I mean, you got to have a strong vision. You got to be like, oh, this, it's going to be good. Just wait <laughs> right. six months yeah. because we need, we need to be able to pee on stuff, poop on stuff, pump, <laughs> pump these different gases around. Yep. We need to have the world simulation done and your guys need to be little idiots. Like yeah. all of those things. And are it's huge. all AI. Yeah. It was all, all AI. AI. So that's just going to take, I'm sure it took just a couple of months before it even felt remotely good. Yep. And you got to have a strong, like, it's going to work. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, you often see this, this comment in game developer, uh, like subreddits or, mm -hmm. or forums or groups or whatever, where one of the big questions is about being motivated. Like, mm -hmm. how do you, like, especially if you're a solo developer, how do you stay motivated through the early stages of a project? Because... It just sucks. Yeah. Like the game is just really bad and, it's, and it depends on the design. So if you're making an, an action game, so think about a game like super hot, mm -hmm. that mechanically actually is simple yep. to execute. And art wise, it's just like polygons. white is polygons, really? yeah. right? Yeah. And so Style. that's, so that's the kind of game that you could have in a really fun state in a day and a half or mm -hmm. two, if you know what you're doing. Um, but a game like Oxygen Included, like you said, may take three or four months. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, that's if you know what you're doing. It may take three or four months. And if you're working on it full time. But if you just have a vision and you're like, All right, I want to I want to simulate the experience in a fun way of being teleported mm -hmm. into the middle of an asteroid that's just trying to murder you. Yep. Uh, like that's, if that's the, that's the token you got to hold on to, I guess it's just going to take a while because yeah. you don't know before you build these things. You, so, you also, so you have to have that coherent yeah, vision. But, but an interesting part about that too, with, with reference to that game specifically is had they gone with a different personality style and art style, the one that was, you know, more realistic, like, like, like this war of mine. Sure. Right. Uh, that would have been like a dark, depressing game that would just well, it would play. it would tilt too far away from being amusing, right? Right, and well, and that, that, that's the the key with this thing is that if they focused, mo I mean, 
they may have actually had a fun gameplay experience thing in a very short period of time just by focusing on art and characters and, mm-hmm. and their character AI. Because mm-hmm. the characters have so much apparent personality to them. Um, even just doing stuff and being like, I need people to go to side if they're going to go mine some stuff for me, right? And then maybe somebody will just go to sleep instead or whatever. So that you feel like you have these little living beings um, pretty early before even they could necessarily do anything or mm-hmm. even before they could die because there was oxygen to deal with and stuff. Uh, the Just the personality of the game can be so strong that you can have fun being immersed in it even if the gameplay mechanics aren't there yet. Okay, can you imagine like that but in a like a darker, photorealistic, full mm-hmm. like 3D graphics Oh, yeah, setting I mean, like yeah. the characters die and like instead of like oh they're cute little cheeks puffed out you yeah. know instead like they're like, clutching their throat and you know it's <laughs> right, like super right. realistic and horrifying you know like it would be a very different experience yeah, no yeah. Thanks. and actually a lot harder to execute graphically as well yep. yeah so it's kind of a double negative so yeah i mean it's uh it's hard but it takes time right, the next question comes from dark silver hawk who says what sorts of games did you enjoy as kids how are they similar to the kinds of games you now make uh, so growing up, we had, uh, basically we had Game Boys, which we were allowed to play on car rides, mm-hmm. long car rides specifically. Which mm-hmm. also meant that if we knew that we were going somewhere, we'd get our, we'd get <laughs> up early and then go just sit in the car. We'd for be like, hour. I'm ready. I'm ready for the road trip. Just in the car. <laughs> I'm just going to go wait in the car. In the car prepping <laughs> for three hours. <laughs> prepping with Zelda or something. Um, we had, uh, so we had a lot of the early Game Boy games, like Kirby's Dreamland was yeah. the first game that I ever owned. That was super good. And yeah, we, crap out of that one. Wario. Oh, Wario. So good. Yep. Yeah, and we each got a monthly allowance. Um, like 20 then, bucks or something? Yeah, we get like 10 or 20 bucks a month, depending on I don't think it was 20 bucks a year. month. Year. Was it 20? I think it was more like 10. Yeah. And then took a while to buy. I think once we started, (laughs) once we started mowing in our early teens, we got bumped up to 20. (laughs) Uh, I think it started off still the same, actually, you know, and then we had, it was very cheap labor. Yeah. Yeah. We had to stage a picket. We had, we had a, we had a, we had a a cost of living adjustment. (laughs) Um, and so, so we would basically, we were gifted Game Boys, but we had to buy our games, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. so our allowance came from, you know, helping chores around the house Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And so we would, Every few months, we would each have enough money to buy a Game Boy game, and then we would go. We would go to Walmart or whatever. Which, like there was, I think that was the only place we could There's get a Walmart. Yeah, we, we grew up in a town of ten thousand people, so there was one place where you could get uh, video games, which was the Walmart. That wasn't there so. when we were growing up. There was a smaller one. It was just really small. There oh, was a smaller, right. kind of crappier one. That's right. Now we got a super nice. I always one thought we, <laughs> I always thought we had to get our stuff from from Des Moines where we were going. Those we trips. mainly well, that was for sometimes games. if we if we went if we got game. computer games, which was a little bit later because um, yeah. we didn't have we didn't have a gaming capable computer. I think until maybe I was like t- 10, 10 or eleven or something like that. Older than that. Yeah. yeah. This so is a new house. around the time in middle school, yeah. um, we got a we got a desktop PC which. We had uh, a lot of Blizzard games. We had like the mm-hmm. Diablo and Starcraft and the Warcraft games. I think it's interesting, interesting things. That I feel like we played most of the games that everybody played in that time period. Yeah, or you know? we had we had enough access to them because we had friends who would go yeah, to their exactly. houses and they would, you know, all of our friends had every console. Yeah, I do we remember. GoldenEye at other people's houses yeah. and Super Mario 64. I do remember my first my first brush with like open, more open worldy feeling things was, uh, which I, get, I don't even know if it counts technically as open world, but it felt like at the time was Smuggler's Run. Did you guys ever get to play that? Mm-mm. It was a racing game on PlayStation, but you, so you drove around like these like dune buggies. 
out in the desert, essentially. And it, it, I don't know what it was about it, but like you had to, you would pick up packages and drop stuff off and you could do competitive modes with your friends. And there's like a, I think that a campaign that you went through. Um, and it was just a ton of fun. And I remember going over to my friend's house and playing that and, and the way they handled, I vaguely remember like the way they handled the horizon and the camera and stuff was just really, really neat. So that, that one I think was big. And then of course, I think things like Pokemon and that sort of games of that ilk, I think kind of stick with you. Um, Monster Rancher was a big one, uh, which we've actually been talking about internally in the studio when we're talking about trying to figure out how people are going to progress in this game that we're making. Um, kind of using these games as these old touchstones and reference pieces for for the stuff we're doing now. So, yeah, we played a lot of Diablo, a lot of StarCraft, Warcraft, uh, Final Fantasy, Half-Life. Yeah, once we, I think once we the got into one, right? like high school years... Um, we hit, we started actually getting consoles and stuff and I, right. I saved up money to like build my own computer in high school. I worked at a grocery store and built a PC and got myself an Xbox mm-hmm. and a crack, a crappy TV that I had in my, in my room. And so I, I started kind of like piling together s- scraps and right. components and stuff. Um, yeah. So I ended up playing, uh, well, like we got like half-life two in high school and lots of, lots of good stuff. So, but yeah, we also had limited screen time, yes. which was. Here's a question. Here's a question for you guys. Mm. So when we grew up, we had we had 30 minutes of screen time a day, and we had an egg timer next to the computer. Mm-hmm. So we'd set a timer, and then um, that was all you got. And so if you started, like, playing a StarCraft match, and then, like, you lagged out, and then the match ended, and then you had to start over, well, too bad. You still used your 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, you only got 15 minutes left. Um, how do you feel about that in retrospect? Good idea, bad idea? It was a good idea. I don't, it was, I don't have enough of a memory of that. <laughs> I think it was a good idea say. only because uh, this is for all, for all the parents out there. Yeah, no, I think I think it, it taught us some some time value for one. And then also there wasn't. Well, I think it, it does one thing on the flip side, which is that it made it made playing video games just even more special because it was a thing. We just it had a, yeah, it had a sort of a yeah. it had a backfiring. Effect. Right. <laughs> it's like, and it's suddenly if they're like, oh, yeah, you guys got a free night. What do you want to do? It's like, I want to do the thing that you don't allow me to do. So yeah, I'm gonna go it play must be game. awesome. Right. Awesome. So, um, I think, I don't know to, for, for me, I, it, I think it actually kind of pushed me away from video games because mm. I didn't do it enough. And I had to presumably kind of rationalize that it was fine to not be playing games and that I guess other stuff must be more important and, you know, and whatever. Uh, so that, cause we spent most of our time as kids outside doing stuff, yep. you know, yep. and reading books because we had, there was no, there's no book, there's limit. no book limit and, and nobody ever better fucking enforce what <laughs> Yeah, completely insane. <laughs> Eight minutes uh, of reading a day. <laughs> right. Um, and, and I think in a lot of ways, the fact that we had limited screen time are what allowed us to be successful as adults. Yeah. Um, so. Because as as kids, uh, it was certainly the case that we had no self-control. Yeah. And you always want to go to the flashiest, coolest yeah. thing with all the explosions and lasers. <laughs> yeah. and-, and and I think that kind of helped sort of pave the way for the the intolerance and impatience I have now for things just taking my time away and like and trying to trying to grab my focus in really obvious ways. Because you know what it is like to focus on a thing. Yeah. And just, just to not be around that kind of stuff. Cause I think I, I have to imagine if I was just steeped in like, you know, cartoons back. I mean, I, if I go back and look at that shit today, you know, the, the cartoons that are integrated with commercials and then the commercials, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff was fucking wild. How, how, <laughs> how, how obvious it was and right. what it was attempting to do, which was just make you buy things and, uh, or make you demand your parents. Well, it was, buy exa- it was exactly that. Yeah. Right. And, and of course I know that I could, I had no clue that that was happening when I was a kid and we, you know, we had our, whatever it was, our um, Saturday morning cartoons that we got to watch. Uh, 
But I think in the whole, that was a really good thing. Because, yeah, I do think so. Because just my tolerance for that, for that is just basically zero now. So I guess parents buy your kids a Kindle, get yeah. the $10 a month Kindle Unlimited subscription. Mm-hmm. Boom. But then you know they're going to sideload it with games. I'm pretty sure you can do you that. Can't, not, a, not a Kindle. Not, a regular Kindle. Not, a, not like a paper white Kindle. It uses an e-ink screen that refreshes like once per <laughs> oh, second. Okay. So the refresh rate <laughs> is not like a calculator. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's much worse than a TI-83 yeah. even for, for gaming. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that was... That was... Uh, I mean, I, I do think it was good. I think because it... I think so. It teaches the ability to focus, I think. Yeah. But also, you like you said earlier, it... it helps you understand how that you have finite time and that you, and that you have to choose how to spend it on things. Because I think it's, it's very easy when you do something, any, any kind of a consumable entertainment medium, like, like games and TV and stuff uh, that you can get lost in without really doing any work. Um, Cause for me, you're like reading, right. if like reading interesting stuff, like still I get lost in it. And I, and I think in a lot of ways it, it's, it can also be a dangerous entertainment mm-hmm. medium. Um, yeah, I often stay up too late if I'm reading, yeah, exactly. if I'm reading a good book. I'll be like, oh shit, it's yep. one a.m. Yep. So I, I think I think these are all kind of on par. Actually, I think the the one value you get out of out of reading is that it improves your language dramatically, which mm-hmm. is the tool that you use to think and 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 uh, solve problems. Um, so yeah, I think it was good. I think it was, I good. It was a good call. Thirty minutes a day. Yeah, and especially think, and especially think now, because if you think about what is available on screens now, oh yeah, because uh, when we were growing up, it was like video games or cartoons. Those were yeah. our, those were our screen options. Yeah, um, and we had and to make we, a choice. We did watch uh, we had to either make a Discovery choice. Channel or Nova, I think, on Sunday nights with our with our parents. Yeah, we'd get a big bowl of popcorn and watch, watch nature documentaries. Yeah, a lot of the message there was that if you are if you're not just consuming things, but you're using them as a way to think about stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, I think some of that message got a little bit garbled with our own parents, mostly because they were so unfamiliar with the medium of video games, you know? So right. we had some educational games, but weren't, but they, they, they went into our screen time, you know, which <laughs> like made we, like we math blast. Yeah, exactly. So we had to choose between playing an educational game and playing, you know, Starcraft, like duh, you know, right. Uh, we'll so Starcraft. <laughs> there's some things that I think require, you know, as, as the parent, you'd have to understand more about what the thing was you mm-hmm. were, you were dealing with and, and have consistent rules applied to it. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I just think there's not, there's just not a lot of value as a kid yeah. in looking at the screen unless you're programming. Correct. Yeah. But you may not have the logical circuitry to do it until a little bit later. No, I think I yeah. think you do. People people started teaching their kids at like four. Oh, okay. Done. It's just another Perfect. La- it's just another language. People start learning languages when they're people people start telling you words at your face right the moment you come out of the womb, trying to get you to learn language. And mm-hmm. then and then we take which is think about how complex human language is, right? Yeah, it mostly makes computer no sense. programming. It makes no sense at all. It only makes sense in context and it's very messy and uh, and it has a written component that has nothing to do with the spoken. It's just some glyphs we put down and we're mm-hmm. like, this means cat, right? Uh, and when you look at programming and programming, everything means exactly one thing. You're trying to tell a complete idiot, which is a computer, how to do something it doesn't know how to do, which means it's just a set of plain, plain instructions that literally can't be simpler. Than and they, they just go in order. And they just go in order. Whereas, like in, a, whereas in, in human language, you can have a sentence where the beginning of the sentence changes its meaning depending on what happens later yeah. in the sentence. Right. It's self-referential. Right. Which you... It's all about also about intonation and body language. Yeah. And there's other things that and change. So the, the, just the idea that kids are too young to learn computer programming. But yeah, let's teach them how to read and teach them how to speak is 
batshit crazy. So really, <laughs> those are way harder than learning how to program. So, so sometimes you hear about you know those kids that are raised by wolves. You know mm-hmm. those oh, yeah, kids I mean, that are everywhere. I hear about those all the time. Yeah. So, and then they learn how to talk wolf talk and stuff like that. Yeah, and program wolf programming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wonder who's going to be the first kid who's raised by computers who only speaks mm. to computers. Whoa. Yeah. You, just, you get this. You get this fresh baby. I feel like, but so I'm, I'm put in, it with computers. I'm imagining <laughs> Alexa, Alexa being the one who raises this child, and I feel like their speech Ale- would be so mm. stunted. But she doesn't yeah. want you. But Alexa doesn't want you to know how to program because she wants to just make you buy things. That's true, you know. And she doesn't want you to hack her. Yeah, she's got some presumably sort of survival, you know, mechanisms going mm-hmm. on here. So if anybody gets if anybody gets raised by Alexa, they'll just be. Well, I guess regular American. Just yeah, they'll just buy lots of stuff that they don't need. So, all right, we got time for one more question. Uh, this question comes from Rayston One. I am a beginning game developer who is done with tutorial projects and would like to move on to a project that I can get excited about. However, I'm not sure what core game mechanic to use. What design resources, books, websites, etc., do you recommend? So, for starters, let's flip this around. What resources should you avoid? Mmm. Because that's important to know. Also, the whole premise makes me uncomfortable, which we can also talk about. Yeah. Why is that, Adam? Uh, so the idea here that I'm done with tutorials and I want to do something that I can be excited about. Because the exciting part of this whole thing is in learning how to make games and learning how to solve game-related problems. And learning how to take an idea you have and cast it into... You're saying that it, it just feels like a tutorial all the time. Yeah. Life, is a tut- Life is just a huge tutorial. Yeah. But I think, well, no, I it's think- mostly, it's not that it feels like a tutorial. It's that, because a tutorial just takes you by the hand and tries to guide you to teach sure. you some things, right? Uh, it's, it's that the goal, so, so I would agree getting away from tutorials is great, but not to try to find something that you're passionate about, but to be able to solve your own problems, because that's the part you're supposed to be passionate about, not the game itself. Because if you're passionate about the game, you're going to be just disappointed literally the entire time you're working because the game isn't done until you finished it. And that's the time you get to be excited. And about sadly, it. because you made it, you can never experience it for the as first a, time as a player would. Mm-hmm. Yep. So if, if that's the thing that motivates you, you really should not be making games or just take a frame shift. Probably really, you should just take a frame shift, which, and, and, and this is a thing you can do. And we in fact do constantly in the studio all the time. We, anytime we start to be uncertain about something, we just say, how do we reframe this in our own minds so that the thing that we need to do is also the thing we want to do? Yeah. So then as far as resources go, uh, things to be careful of making game engines. Yeah. It's a grab. You mean things just to not do things to not do. Yeah. So, well, you'll, you'll talk to a lot of programmers who are really excited about. So this kind of comes back to what Adam was talking about of, of what problems are you excited about? People who are hardcore programmers get excited about hardcore programming problems and one of the biggest problems is how do you build an entire game engine from mm-hmm. scratch? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty tough problem to solve. So is just building a game on top of an engine. Yeah. Um, and so if you are planning on be- on making video games and you talk to other people and their advice is learn C++ and start programming your own game engine. Run away. Don't, just stop asking them for advice because they're just wrong. <laughs> so I, I would suggest you pick up either Unity or Game Maker. And then you just do a game jam. Yep. Yeah. And whatever comes out of that jam, if it's got remote funness to it, then you polish it up and finish it within like a month. Yep. And then do it again. Don't seek out projects. It's just, it it literally doesn't make sense as a goal. The the goal should just be get to work on something right now. Just start making things. Start making a thing. uh, Make as few plans as possible and just get on it. Because until you've prototyped many, many times and made lots of little things, uh, tested out mechanics, tried to tried lots of programs. If, if all you've done is gotten through tutorials, 
that means basically you don't know how to implement any of your ideas yet. Mm-hmm. You can do what you're told. You can do what you're told. And so, and so who gives a fuck about like the game idea you have? Just go make something walk. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So then ask, okay, how do I make that interesting? No, so let this me, thing let is me make a game where something walks. <laughs> right. And then once you have that, now add some functionality, make it more interesting. Boom, infinite and runner. And then yep. infinite runner. And then realize that the thing you made is now so convoluted and terrible because you didn't know what you were doing. Which is fine. Needed, that's which the, is fine. That's the expectation. Because the goal was to do it, not to have it. Then now throw it away and start over because that thing that you made, it's not commercially viable. It's so messy. You can't fix it. It's a mm-hmm. sketch. It's a it's, sketch. A, it's like an artist yeah, sketch. I do think there's a, there is a hard, a really hard thing early on, which is, which is finding what to do exactly. Uh-huh. But I think the important thing to understand is that you need to put as many constraints on yourself as possible because we, we've talked about it with regard to creativity is that it's creativity is very much like sort of an amorphous thing. And until you just strap like a, like a rocket thruster on it, then it can't push you in any direction because it's just like this cloud of crap. Yep. So you got to compress that cloud and put a nozzle on it. Exactly. But I think it's, I think this is mostly because people overvalue ideas, you know, cause I it's think, like, wouldn't it be cool if, and then your, and then your things expand on all the potential things mm-hmm. that could happen. Well, I, I think it's, I think it's partially true. I think it's also when you're, when you're first starting out, there's the question of how do I make good use of my time? Yeah. And like, I have experiences with, with, uh, with trying to draw in my, in my off time because there's a the question of like, okay, yeah, I want to draw. What do I draw? Mm-hmm. Like what, that's the big perennial question. Like, okay. Cause problem is since if you don't know how to draw, you don't know what things you would need to draw to learn the things you yeah. need to know, which and, you don't know. But the important thing is actually that it doesn't matter. You just need to just have things that let you answer that question without having to think about it. So mm-hmm. there's no barrier. Yep. So uh, Tifa, for example, brought in these little slips of paper. So we would just go sit outside and you just take two slips of paper out and it says like cucumber chest. And then you got to draw. That's what you're drawing now. <laughs> uh-huh. Like it solves the problem completely. And that, like that's, what, that that's why game thing, jam is so great. Exactly. Game jams do the, the exact same thing. You get to work. You don't have to think about that particular part because that part yeah. doesn't really matter that much. And I would say, so some of the question is, as far as constraints go, how would, if you're first starting out, this is the drawing problem. Mm-hmm. You don't know enough about games to know even what is an appropriate constraint or what would count as a constraint versus not. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we had our game dev course, we put a very tight set of constraints on our students for the first half of the semester, which uh, we then lifted those constraints later in the semester. And uh, it but cautioned a, a people that pe- they should keep them. A mm-hmm. lot of people just went crazy yeah. uh, and f- totally flew off the rails and blew their projects way out of scope and then crashed and burned and mm-hmm. couldn't actually uh, finish making the idea that they wanted to make. Um, and so the, the types of constraints that we used were things like, uh, no art and instead keep it to just simple uh, shapes and colors mm-hmm. and try to convey ideas through the use of shape, color, and sound. Which is art, but you just mean no... No animation, no yeah. no hand-drawn, mm-hmm. you know, stuff. Yep. Um, because... It's, it's like primitives shapes. with good color. Yeah, um, yeah, because the idea there is is uh, people... You need to train yourself as a game designer to understand how people place their consciousness into the thing that they're interacting with. And so think about in uh, early Mario, you know, Mario's face was so pixelated that they had to give him a mustache so you could tell that it was a face. Mm-hmm. Like that was how crappy the, the art fidelity was. But by drawing a picture of Mario on the box art, then that tells players, hey, this thing that you just like weird blob of pixels you're playing as, that's that same character that we yeah. drew on the box. And people just put that idea into there. And so the, the argument uh, to take that one step further is what if, what if Mario wasn't a picture of Mario in those pixels, but was just a rectangle and they just called it Mario, mm-hmm. right? 
Well, people would still be like, yeah, that thing on the box, that's what I am. That's what this <laughs> rectangle is. Um, and so you need to learn how to convey ideas. Well, actually, and, old Atari games were basically that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so you need to learn how to convey ideas in the simplest way possible. And once you start throwing art on top of there, um, then that is that serves to kind of distract you from your core uh, purpose as an early game developer, which is to learn how to uh, implement these mechanics, how to make them fun, how to convey ideas to players in ways that they can understand. Um, well, I think also in, until you've done it, you you just have no you're not ready. You don't understand just the degree of complexity that each of these things introduces, mm-hmm. because the moment you introduce, you know, a character that has a head and a body and not even legs, but just yeah. even a head and a body. Right. <laughs> Then you're like, okay, now, then you look at it. All of a sudden you're like, oh, this feels terrible because it's just a thing that sits there. Now, so now, now it's just a flat static picture. Exactly. So now it needs to blink. So now you got to figure out how to make it blink. And, and But it can't blink on a timer. It needs to blink look weird. sort of randomly. It's got to be random. So now you have to understand how to make it blink randomly. And then, but that means now it's like its head's going to change. So now anything you had to do that might change what its head does you have to make sure that that works for blinking. Mm-hmm. And then also right. if, so how's, if you have a, if you have a 10 frame run cycle, but then it also blinks during the cycle, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Well, now you got to detach its head from its body, render that as a separate sprite, mm-hmm. have yep. a different blink sprite. And yeah. now you got to, so now you got to start worrying about draw order and stuff. Yeah, and this now is also just, like, this can is things, an art problem. This yeah. Is, right? yeah. This, this is just because you decided you wanted your character yeah. to look different. So, right? so a good set of constraints are essentially these primitive shapes and colors for your, for your art. Uh, the one, the other ones we used were uh, place your, character your player as a character in the world so no no strategy no simulation no you're an overlord commanding a deck of of minions or whatever else uh your character is in the world so, so for example a, it's a square you're a spaceship you're a right. you're a, a space square. A person running around right. you're a, a square person running around. a square person um and then no more than four inputs seem to be a good one so in other words don't overdo it on the buttons and stuff and one action that the player can do and then some at least one at least one action and then so for example shoot or mm. jump or teleport three feet um and then the critical one when, when once you have the action figured out is a suite of obstacles that the player has to use their action to overcome yep that's it and i would also say as, as you start doing this stuff uh focus on finishing decide what finishing means yep. right because you're still making prototypes they're not supposed to be commercially viable but but ask yourself as you start to see the thing take shape, ask, okay, what would it look like for this to be done? And then actually do it until it's done. Because I think the the biggest difficulty, it seems to me, kind of watching other you know hobbyists trying to become full-time developers uh, from the outside, seems to be the inability to finish a thing that they start. Mm-hmm. Because at the start, it's all this very exciting exploration phase where you're, you're learning how the thing is going to look and it starts to take shape. And then once you kind of see what it's going to be like, then you decide, oh, maybe I'm not that interested in this anymore. Or, oh, I want to try this other idea I have. And then you just leave it. And if you, if you never actually, so, so being able to finish a thing is just a skill you have to develop. It's, you mm-hmm. have to push through a lot of mental barriers to actually complete a thing, especially a prototype. Uh, and if you start that at the very beginning, then there's nothing that's going to stop you once you start making full on professional stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are the things. Cool. Focus on finishing, use those constraints, simple action games. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that well, then you'll start to see the patterns that allow you to do bigger things. Yep. So, and then just produce. Yep. yep. Just keep at it. Work a lot. Just like anything. It's like learning a program, like playing a guitar, whatever. You just got to do it a shitload mm-hmm. and eventually you'll figure it out. All right. So I think that's all the time we have for this week's Coffee with Butterscotch. Uh, we'd like to thank our studio wrangler, Monique, for putting this episode together. Our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. And the B-Scotch dev team, Andy, Tifa, and Sure for continuing to jam in the other room while we're over here doing whatever this is. Uh, we also like to thank our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And of course, uh, we'd like to thank 
all of our listeners for coming back every week. And uh, if you want to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can always hop into our Discord at bit.ly slash bsdiscord. Come say hello. We're in there. There's like 140,000 people in there. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that was yesterday. Today there were 140 million. Yeah, it's really ramping up. We got some real good growth. Uh, pretty there. soon, we're actually going to, it's sort of a, uh, it's like a pyramid scheme. You know, if you, if you bring 10 people in the Discord, great things will follow. <laughs> so uh, it's really grown. It's really, really going well. Also, we don't advertise this show. Uh, so we, we depend completely on word of mouth and good reviews. So if you want to help us grow, then tell your friends, tell everybody you know, and then hop on to iTunes. Give us some, give us some stars. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.